When I was 10 years old, my best friend got a motorcycle. A little tiny bike. He called it a dirt bike. And he spent hours riding it around through this big open field that was on the edge of the housing subdivision where we lived. And one afternoon, he let me try it. And I was hooked. I was hooked. It was so exhilarating. So I went home and told my parents, I want a dirt bike. And they emphatically said, no. (laughs) And that began my campaign. My campaign of persistent, relentless, perpetual asking. They were concerned about safety, so I told them about things like helmets and gloves and boots and other protective gear that I could wear. They were concerned about the cost, so I went out and got a job delivering newspapers so I could earn at least a little money to help contribute toward the cost of purchasing a a motorbike. And at every opportunity, I raised the topic and asked them again, Mom, Dad, I want a dirt bike. And finally, after three years of persistence, (laughs) I got my wish. I got my dirt bike. And I spent many enjoyable hours throughout my teenage years riding that bike. As I reflect back on that experience, it occurs to me that if I had only asked my parents once and never asked again, I never would have gotten what I wanted. I only got it because I was persistent. I needed to keep asking to show them that I was serious and that this was not some childish whim. I needed to keep asking because I couldn't achieve my goal without their help. And the fact is, sometimes persistent asking is essential. And that was true with my parents. And sometimes it's true with God. And this is a fact of the life of faith that Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know that sometimes when it comes to prayer, we must be persistent. We need to to be persistent to show God that we're serious and we're not acting on a whim. We need to be persistent to show God that we are passionately relying on Him. And most importantly, we're relying on Him not to indulge our wants like I was with my desire for a dirt bike. We are relying on God to meet our essential needs. That's a point that Jesus wants to get across to people who want to follow him. And to make that point, he does what he often does. He tells a parable. He shares a brief story about the importance of persistent asking. And then he adds some further teaching to that parable to clarify his point. I'd like us now to listen, listen to the words of Jesus from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, 
yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, here in the book of Luke, as Luke is laying out his biography of the life and ministry of Jesus, he takes this parable and teaching and he places it directly after the Lord's Prayer. Now think about the Lord's Prayer. That's a prayer where, among other things, Jesus teaches us to pray for our basic needs. We're to pray and ask God to give us our daily bread. And then Jesus builds on that point by telling this story that we just heard about a man who needs some bread late at night. And it's a very simple story. But to really grasp it, we need to understand that it's based on the cultural importance of hospitality in the first century Middle East. You see, in that time and place, hospitality was much more than just being nice. It was a sacred duty. If a friend or even a stranger showed up at your door, you provided food and water and shelter and rest. And this hospitality was not to be given grudgingly or sparingly. You were to treat your guests like a member of your own family. If you failed to show hospitality, it was a stain on the honor of your household. In fact, to not extend hospitality was shameful because it meant that you were unwilling to extend yourself in order to meet the needs of other people. Jesus uses that cultural understanding of hospitality for the basis of this parable and his teaching. And his purpose is to emphasize the importance of persistence. Now, I want to take a minute and retell this parable. And I want to amplify some of the details based on what we know about the culture. Things that would be obvious to Jesus' audience but are not so obvious to us. And I believe this will help us to get the impact of what Jesus is actually saying. And Jesus tells the story with anonymous characters. But to add some clarity and avoid confusion, I'm going to give them some names. So here's my expanded version of this story. Simon is at home and in bed. It's late at night. It's after 11 o'clock p.m. And suddenly he's disturbed because there's a knocking on his door and he jumps out of bed. He opens up and he finds his friend Andrew standing there. Andrew has just arrived in town after a long journey. And he's embarrassed and, and even ashamed to wake Simon so late at night. But he's tired, he's hungry. He needs a place to stay. And Simon doesn't hesitate. He invites Andrew inside. However, Simon is now in a fix because Andrew wasn't expected and there is no food in the house. 
Now, that, that may strike us un, as unusual, but it was pretty common in that day. People shopped daily for their fresh food. They often baked just enough bread for that day, which means they often went to bed with little or no food in the house. Now, in our modern era, that's almost impossible to comprehend. We have refrigeration and canned goods and preservatives, and we take food storage for granted, and most of us probably have an abundance of food in our home most of the time. And to have an empty fridge or an empty cupboard would be highly unusual. And yet, even as we say that, we need to recognize it's not universally true. There are people here in our church family and people right in our neighborhood who sometimes have little or no food. And that's why we deliver huge food baskets every Thanksgiving. That's why we offer a community breakfast on the last Sunday morning of each month as we're going to do next week. And I want you to know that if money is tight for you, if your food is limited And if you could use a hot meal, please come at 8 o'clock next Sunday morning and join us for breakfast. And if you want to help meet that need, then I want to encourage you to sign up to volunteer. Because God loves it when we show hospitality. That's the underlying point of this parable. Showing hospitality is exactly what Simon, this man in the parable, wants to do. He wants to show hospitality by providing food for his friend, but Andrew's late-night arrival has caught him unprepared, and he cannot meet that need. What options does he have? Well, he can't run down to the store because there's no store. And even if there was a story, it wouldn't be open late at night like 7-Eleven. He's got one option. He decides to go down the street to the house of his friend Jacob. He happens to know that Jacob's wife baked a lot of bread that day, so they'll have some leftover loaves. And by the time he gets to Jacob's house, it's nearly midnight. The door is shut. The family's asleep. And Simon doesn't care because his need is urgent. The shame of not taking care of a guest is far greater than the shame and embarrassment of disturbing Jacob. So Simon knocks. He knocks vigorously and he wakes up the entire family. How does Jacob respond? He doesn't even get out of bed. He just hollers through the door, go away, we're in bed, we're asleep, we're done for the day. Yet Simon persists. He persists because Andrew has a need. He persists because he has no other options. Simon is relentless in his desire to properly care for Andrew. And he persists so much that finally he becomes annoying. And as a result, to get some peace, Jacob finally gets up, he opens the door, and he loads Simon up with bread. Simon's going to be able to provide Andrew with food. But only because he's engaged in some very pesky behavior. And I find it interesting that Jesus affirms this behavior as we see in verse 8 at the conclusion of this parable. 
And Jesus is telling us this because he wants we, us to know that, that we need to keep asking. Asking persistently when there is a legitimate need is the right thing to do. We need to ask boldly. We need to ask even audaciously. We need to ask without shame or embarrassment because there's no shame in having a need. And persistent asking is particularly appropriate when we are driven by the desire to meet the needs of another person. And in those situations, we must ask. And who is it that we ask? We don't we don't ask a grumpy neighbor, a grumpy neighbor that we have to rouse out of bed. We ask God. Remember, this is a parable that's not meant to be understood literally. It's an analogy that Jesus is using to teach us about prayer. And he wants us to pray persistently to God the way that Simon persistently asked his neighbor. And as we bring this analogy into real life and our own actions, we need to recognize that there's a huge difference between God and the neighbor. Simon kept asking his neighbor in order to wear him down so that the neighbor would give in and meet his need. We don't pray with that same motivation. We pray with persistence not to wear God down, but to show God we're serious. We pray with persistence to show God that we are sincere and that we want to rely on Him. And the fact is this, if we, if we only pray in a cursory manner, if we just pray once and then forget about it, or decide, oh, I mentioned it to God, now I'll figure out a way to solve it on my own. Well, then it's right for God to wonder just how much we really want His help. Jesus isn't telling this story so that we start badgering God. Jesus wants us to demonstrate that we are relying on God by persistently praying about very real needs. And I think it's very important to understand that persistent prayer involves an attitude change. We don't do this to pester God. We don't pray this way because we're desperate. I believe that persistent prayer is a prayer of relentless faith. I like the way that Christian author E.M. Bounds writes about persistent prayer. He says, this kind of prayer never faints nor grows weary. It never is discouraged. It never yields to cowardice. Instead, it's buoyed up and sustained by a hope that knows no despair and by a faith which will not let go. Jesus is teaching us this so that we will pray persistently with a relentless faith. Because we know that God's not like the grumpy neighbor in the parable. And, and the contrast is so stark. If an irritated neighbor will get up at midnight because of our persistence, then how much more will God, our loving Father, be willing to meet our needs? He far surpasses what any human being can do. But only if we ask. And Jesus wants us to ask persistently. And as we pray with persistence, Jesus wants us also to pray with confidence. 
because he promises us that God will respond. And he emphasizes that in the teaching now that follows this parable. As we see, for example, in verses 9 and 10. Now, as we were listening to this passage, I'm sure it struck many of us as very familiar. We love to quote these verses. And we usually quote them out of context. And that's not wise because when these verses stand alone, they read like an unlimited promise. It sounds like Jesus is guaranteeing that we will get anything and everything that we ask for when we pray. And that's just not the case. Jesus is not making a universal statement here. He makes this statement in the context of praying for basic needs. And in particular, the need to be hospitable by meeting the needs of other people. Bible passages always make the most sense when we read them in context. And the context here is that we pray with persistence because we are relying completely on God and we're praying with persistence about essential needs. And when we do that, that's when our asking and our seeking and our knocking will really make a difference. And that's when we will see God respond to our prayers with His good gifts, which Jesus explains in verses 11, 12, and 13. So Jesus has told a parable, he's provided a word of teaching, and now he's going to summarize everything here in these three verses. And as he does so, he makes a subtle shift. He's still talking about needs, but now he's talking not about meeting the needs of others, he's talking about the way our needs are met. And he does this by contrasting an earthly father with the heavenly father. It's pretty simple. If a father will meet the needs of his children, how much more will the heavenly father meet our needs? And he gives an example. A good father will not give his hungry children snakes or scorpions to eat. He'll give them something nourishing like fish or eggs. By the way, Jesus doesn't pick those examples randomly. He wants to make a point. There's a water snake in that region of the world that can be mistaken for a fish. A scorpion can roll up and look something like an egg. In other words, a loving father is not going to try to fool his children by giving them substandard gifts that might look like the real thing. And in the same way, God our Father is not going to give you or me inferior gifts. When he meets our needs, it'll be the real thing. And he will give us what is best because he loves his children. That's you, that's me. And he loves to give his children good gifts. Now, all of this sounds pretty simple and straightforward. But we can't gloss over two very dramatic points. Virtually every time Jesus tells a parable and also in much of his teaching, he says something that's shocking. There's often an element of shock to get the attention of those listening to him. He wants to grab their attention so that they'll be open to making an attitude adjustment and living life in a new and different way. 
And here in these simple comments, we find two such shocking statements by Jesus. First, Jesus is telling this parable, and he's offering this teaching to his disciples, and he calls them evil. He calls them evil. He says, you are evil, and yet you know how to give good gifts to your children. Wow. If I was there, that would shock me. I wouldn't like anyone to call me evil, would you? So why does Jesus do that? I believe he's doing it to draw a contrast between human sinfulness and the goodness of God. And the fact is, no matter how good we think we may be, only God truly is good. Now, you and I certainly can do good things, but at times we all trip ourselves up with pride and envy and greed and selfishness and so many more things. And Jesus makes this shocking comment because he wants us to acknowledge that we are highly flawed people. The good news is, despite that, we still can do some good. And yet there's a huge contrast here. God is flawless. Therefore, he will do much greater good than we ever can. And he will give much better gifts than we ever could give. And this leads to the second shocking point of this parable. Jesus wants us to have a new understanding of what God's greatest gift really is. And so he redefines our greatest need. Now remember, the entire focus of Jesus' teaching here is about needs. He begins with a parable about asking persistently for our needs to be met. He then lays out promises and examples of how God will meet our needs. And the very basic need he uses to illustrate his point is our need for food. That's about as basic as it gets. But since Jesus has been teaching that way about needs and about food, then we might logically expect his concluding statement in verse 13 to read something like this. Therefore, if you know how to meet the needs of your children for food, how much more then will God the Father meet your need for food? But Jesus doesn't say that. He switches the focus. He starts talking about parents who give their children good gifts. And he says, God the Father is going to outdo us and give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. How did he get from food to the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's a curveball. It's shocking. It's not the natural endpoint of all that he's been saying. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying that all of our needs, our need for food and clothing and shelter, all of those basic needs are real and we are to ask for them, but they pale in significance to our need for the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that God wants to give to every person. And why is the Holy Spirit so important? It's because this is a gift God gives to men and women at the point of salvation. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, we learn that we receive the Holy Spirit when we repent and are baptized. And what's repentance? That's when we admit that we, that we have fallen short of what God expects. We acknowledge to God that, that we are separated from Him by our sinful condition and our sinful attitudes and our sinful actions. 
And that we then demonstrate to God that we want to take a step of faith and get connected to him, so we submit to baptism. And as we do that, we receive God's forgiveness. We die to our old way of life. We begin a new way of life, and we do so with the Holy Spirit actually living within us. Living within us to help us live by faith. So the Holy Spirit is a great gift, a gift that meets our deepest need to get connected to God. And yet, that's not the ending, it's just the beginning, because the presence of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing gift. Here's just a short list of how the Holy Spirit enriches our lives. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are children of God. Wow. That's something we need. Assurance of our salvation. The book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Holy Spirit continually shapes our character so that we become more godly men and women. The book of John, chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit helps us understand and follow God's truth in our daily lives. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to represent Jesus well in this world so we can draw people to him and they can receive the blessings of being a child of God and being part of God's kingdom. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26, the Holy Spirit even helps us to pray when we can't find the right words to say. Incredible. For all of these reasons, and so many more, the Holy Spirit truly is a great gift from our great God. So I put, as I put all of this together, here's where I land. Jesus wants us to be persistent in prayer. To pray diligently and continually, asking God to meet our needs. And as we pray, I believe we should persistently pray for more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, every parable of Jesus, every teaching of Jesus, offers a challenge a challenge to examine our priorities. A challenge to make some attitude adjustments. And ultimately, there's an invitation, an invitation to experience the life of faith in a deeper, richer way. And we can summarize that invitation by noting the three main points that Jesus makes in this parable and in the teaching that follows. He tells us in this passage that we need to pray persistently, even with shameless audacity. But that persistent prayer must be focused on needs. Real needs, not self-indulgent wants. And we can pray passionately and persistently for our own needs and also for God to equip us to be hospitable and meet the needs of other people. And then we trust God's promise. His promise that as we pray with persistence, He will meet our needs. And then we embrace God's gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that seals our forgiveness and equips us to live by faith. What a great invitation. And I believe that the invitations that Jesus offers are very inclusive. 
which means that the invitation in this passage has something for everyone here this morning. It's universal. There's an opportunity for each of us to respond in some way. And so, for example, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can take that step of faith today. You can make that choice to repent and be baptized and get a fresh start with the Holy Spirit living within you to assure you that you are a child of God and to help you live by faith. And if you want to take that step, you can speak with me after the service. You can talk with one of our elders who will be over in the prayer corner. You can jot a note on your connection card and turn that in and we will follow up with you. But don't miss the opportunity to receive God's great gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, we've already received the Holy Spirit, so there's a different kind of invitation for us here. And it's an invitation to pray persistently about our needs. It's an invitation to pray persistently so that we can do better at practicing hospitality and therefore meet the needs of others. And as we pray with persistence to say, Lord, fill me continually, fill me more and more and more with your Holy Spirit so that I can live by faith in this broken world. That's the invitation. How might Jesus want you to respond?